Good morning. This is Real Estate for Breakfast. I am your host, Phil Coover. Real Estate for Breakfast is a Chicago-centric commercial real estate podcast which presents real estate professionals and attorneys to create thoughtful commentary on current real estate issues, explanations of sophisticated real estate problems, current developments, and entertaining discussion. This podcast is a mixture of real estate business and law. Today we have a great guest. We have Mike Maher. He's the president of James McHugh Construction Company. And if you're looking at the Chicago skyline, you'll probably see many buildings that have been uh, built in with or by or in collaboration with James McHugh Construction Company. And so, you know, it's great to have this opportunity to have the president of the company who's been there for decades, started, uh, I think it was like 37 years ago at the company, has worked all the ways up up to president, has worked on all of these exciting projects to tell us, how, you know, what it's like to build a skyscraper, especially the, the Vista Tower, which you'll now see is the third tallest building in Chicago. It just kind of popped up while we're all in quarantine here this past year, right along the river in the lake, in, in the Lakeshore East area. And so he talks a lot about that. He talks about the COVID pandemic and, and how it's affected construction and a little bit about the 100 Club of Chicago, which helps uh, first responders. Uh, if they pass away, it helps their families. And so I'd encourage you to hang on to the end of the podcast so you can hear that. Uh, before we get to the interview, just want to tell you that um, – Podcast is brought to you by Ice Miller. I'm a partner in the real estate practice group. If you want to get in touch with me, you can email me at philip.coover at icemiller.com. Ice Miller is a full service law firm dedicated to helping our clients stay ahead of a changing world. We have over 340 legal professionals in seven offices across the Midwest and the East Coast. And we advise clients on all aspects of complex legal issues. So thank you for listening to the show. If you're listening to this in December, just want to, this might be the last one we release this year. Just want to say thanks uh, for listening this year. We have a lot of great podcasts already in the pipeline uh, for next year. And um, thanks very much. Today, we have a great guest. We have Mike Maher, the president of James McHugh Construction Company. Mike, thank you so much for coming on the show. Good morning, Phil. It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Mike, you, you've been at McHugh Construction for a very long time. Please give us a, a little overview of, of the company and, and your history with the company. Sure. The company uh, was started in 1897 uh, and uh, was founded by an Irish bricklayer and uh, was founded in Chicago, and we really have became known as uh, a contractor does a lot of innovative projects. And probably the one that we're most known for when we started was uh, over our history is Marina City in 1964. We also did some pretty cool uh, projects, an Aero Saarinen Design Milwaukee War Memorial Project uh, in the late 60s, early 70s. And then um, a lot of tall uh, residential projects, River Plaza, Presidential Towers. Uh, we worked on 900 North Michigan, uh, or I'm sorry, One Magnificent Mile, and uh, some remarkable tall buildings. And, um, and then we also do some really uh, bespoke interiors now, which are uh, uh, like hospitality projects. We just finished a project, the Peninsula and Four Seasons. And we also have an office in Nashville. And then my career started with the company uh, 33 years ago, and I came right out of college and started doing um, uh, project estimating, which is where you learn uh, how to 
develop project cost um, and how many bricks are in a building, how much uh, is electrical going to cost and how much concrete and carpentry and all that. And it all adds up to a project sum. So I started out estimating and um, running smaller projects. And uh, after several years, uh, Jim McHugh Sr. then asked me to lead uh, some uh, marketing uh, efforts and business development uh, which I did for many years. And we went through some exciting times, Phil. Back in the uh, 90s, we actually opened an office in Moscow, Russia. Um, yeah, it was fascinating. And uh, I was a very young guy, and I was involved with a really interesting organization called the U.S.-Russia Business Council. Um, but through that, uh, I had opportunities to have uh, dinners at the Kremlin and uh, in Washington, D.C., with all the movers and shakers. And this was really when uh, uh, Russia relations were just really heating up. It was really, really fascinating time. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, and um, uh, we had uh, it was a great experience for the company, and we actually still have some. We closed uh, that office when the economy really went crazy, but, we, but it was only after being there 10, 11 years, and we had close to 800 employees, and we still have some of those employees that still work with us in Chicago now. So that's really exciting. So my career then uh, continued into uh, marketing and then um, uh, being an executive with the company, I also started over getting involved with more oversight and projects. And, uh, and then for the last um, year and a half, I've been asked to lead the company as president. And it's been the thrill of my lifetime. Well, it's such a great story. You know, it's the American dream, uh, you know, project estimator, the president of the company. It's funny you start as a project estimator. That's actually, uh, you know, what we try to avoid doing in the legal world. Uh, <laughs> and very, very effectively, too, for hundreds of years. <laughs> Cost what it costs. No, I'm just I'm just kidding. Light jokes, light jokes. Uh, when I was a kid, I loved driving into the city. Uh, I'm from DeKalb, from the cornfield, and I love driving the city and seeing the skyscrapers. And, and one of the many reasons why I wanted to have you on the show is just, you know, these unbelievable skyscrapers that you guys are doing. I mean, if, I would encourage everyone just to go to the McHugh Construction Company website. Right on the front is this super cool video, 360 of you guys building the Vista Towers, which is if you've looked at the Chicago skyline and seen an enormous, tall, slender, good-looking building uh, right along the river and the lake in the past year, you'll notice, holy moly, there's a building that's now the third tallest building in Chicago. Um, and so, you know, you guys have had many, you know, amazing buildings that you, you've done. But, you know, if you tell us a little bit about the Vista Towers and, and your work on that project. Yeah, Vista is a fabulous project. It's actually getting very, very, very close to occupancy, um, like in the next uh, couple weeks, uh, if not less time. Uh, but it's a 1,198-story uh, project or 1,198-feet project that represents close to 100 stories. And it's a hotel and condo. It's 400 condos and about 200-room hotel. And um, the project's been... Really, it's a really high-end luxury project that is going to be really, uh, I think, going to become one of Chicago's great iconic projects. It's the same architect that we did Aqua with, which is that building, if mm -hmm. you see my hand, with the waves uh, that's uh, along Lakeshore East. 
Uh, it's Jeannie Gang, who is the primary uh, principal designer and BKL is the project architect. And uh, I just walked the project three, uh, two weeks ago, two and a half, three weeks ago. And that project, um, to see some of the um, residences in those units are just gorgeous. And uh, it's just going to be an, uh, an oasis in the city. And I do know, you know, the developer quite well. And uh, I think he's going to have nothing but some more exciting news to talk about that project in the next uh, week or two to go. Fantastic. And so by the time this is released, you know, we'll probably, we're recording this November 18th. We'll probably release it in December, um, Thanksgiving coming up. And so hopefully that news will already be out. And, you know, I I spent a couple of years just looking at the Aqua. used to live in the Lancaster, which is right across the park. And I had a view of the Aqua for, for three years. So that's really cool. Well, you know, just how do you, I mean, I guess it's experience really helps, but how do you just take on such a massive project like that when you're talking about putting human beings 80 stories in the air to build, you know, another set of stories on top of that? Um, you know, you just tell us a little bit about how you have the, the guts to take on that kind of project. Well, you know, it's funny you should say that there's a good old story back in the 60s when, when Jim McHugh committed to doing um, – uh, Marina City, they asked him then, they said, you know, how, how can you do this project? It's a, you know, at the time it was the tallest cast in place uh, concrete structure in the United States. And uh, he had this great saying, he said, uh, if, if we can do six floors, we can do 60. And, um, and it was that sort of uh, risk taking uh, that has sort of been a staple of our company that we look at things a little bit differently and we're willing to take risk. On that specific project, Phil, on Vista, it was really interesting for me personally. Um, I have my uh, iPhone in my hand, and I'm, I'm trying to look back quickly uh, into my uh, pictures because there was uh, I was with the client at the time when he actually pitched that to um, his, at the time, his first um, Chinese um, partner, which was uh, Wanda Group. And I was with him in China uh, when he did that. And the timetable on that project, I'm looking back, it was uh, 2014 when he pitched that originally to his partner and they were interested. So, and then it was just on paper. So when people talk about the life cycles of projects, Vista is one that, in my opinion, actually was a pretty quick uh, fuse because uh, in 2014, it was just an idea. Just a concept, just on not even three sheets of paper. And um, in that time to now, it's developed into where where it is and we're going to be starting occupancy very shortly. So from a construction perspective, uh, for us, what we do is you look at uh, that project, much like Aqua, when you look at it, they're they're, um, buildings at their core uh, uh, with very unique exterior edges that make it uh, unusual. And the way on Vista is the way is those columns are set back. What becomes inches of floor when you step out and see it from, uh, um, the street, it looks rather remarkable and is striking. So what it takes is, uh, some very good engineers and a very good building team. And our concrete group is unmatched, uh, 
and have built several of the tallest concrete structures in the, in, in the world. And, um, and we're very, very proud of that. They all happen to be in Chicago um, from Trump Plaza uh, to Water Tower Place at the time in Marina City. Uh, those were all tall, uh, some of the tallest concrete structures, as well as um, to Prudential Plaza in Chicago as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you guys just had some work. You guys uh, were on the, I'm probably going to say it wrong, considering I just pronounced Vista, Vista, uh, the NEMA building in the South yeah. Loop. No, you nailed that one. Yes. Okay, good. It's about time. <laughs> that was designed by uh, Raphael Vinoli, which is a, a very uh, prominent architect from New York who did some beautiful design. And um, uh, that is a 76-story, really luxury rental property. And we're very proud of that. As a matter of fact, I walked that property uh, not too long ago, and the um, amenities in these buildings are just amazing. Uh, I'm not a downtown dweller, but if if I was, uh, the, it's the type of building. The fitness facility is remarkable. The uh, amenity decks with the pool, outdoor pool and an indoor pool. Uh, the kitchens, they have several um, areas where you can have private parties with chefs. And it's just really the best of downtown living and the views are to die for. Uh, that's that's really cool. Great to hear. We need we need new, these new buildings to bring people back to into the inner cities, um, which kind of transitions us to a little bit to just to talk about COVID and the pandemic um, and how that's affected construction. Uh, you, you've said it's okay for me to mention you're actually coming to us live from quarantine. Yes. Um, and you're recovering now. And um, so thank you for making time to talk to us, uh, notwithstanding. Um but, you know, if you just tell us a little bit about the pandemic and, you know, I'm sure you have an inside track as to construction workflow and how that's, um, you know, how are projects, are they still being completed? And also the pipeline looking forward. Um, I'm sure there's, and we'll get into it, but labor, material, all, all sorts of things. So tell us a little bit about how this has affected uh, your business and what you're seeing out there. Sure. Uh, I'll, yeah, I'll mention on a, on a personal note, I am uh, uh, on my final day of uh, quarantine and I did test positive for COVID and it really surprised me because my wife and I have been, uh, been I think, very cautious. Um, but nonetheless, um, uh, I think I handled it really well. I was getting a little bit cocky and was telling everyone I was biking two times a day. And then um, uh, on about nine days after my test, all of a sudden I did get a, a sort of a pneumonia post which really knocked me on my rear. Um, oh. and, uh, but that was two or three days of miserableness and uh, I'm bouncing back now, but it's, it's been very disruptive to our industry. It was in March um, this year. And uh, I also am honored to serve as president of the Chicagoland association of general contractors. So I represent a lot of my peers in the industry uh, on a level of uh, the association of general contractors. So it was in March when this became a huge issue. And um, I remember I was actually on a weekend in Florida and I decided to set up for our association bi-weekly phone calls. And so we were having bi-weekly phone calls with all of my peers or Ash, also known as uh, competitors in the industry. And we were exchanging information because we were said, okay, we're considered an essential worker. What can we do? How can we best do our job in the most effective manner, but safely and keeping everyone uh, as healthy as possible. And we sh- exchanged a lot of information. 
uh, from doing, which we still do, random industrial hygienist visits to job sites to ensure that we're doing what we say we're going to do, that we're doing, from uh, making sure we're doing our face covering to cleaning surfaces to having proper hand sanitation and, uh, uh, and bathroom facilities. One on Vista particularly, Phil, it was really challenging because at the time we had five vertical um, available vertical lifts to uh, cover about you know a hundred story structure. How do you get four to five hundred people up at one time with two to three people in an elevator at a time versus what we used to have fifteen to sixteen people? Yeah. So we um, uh, our project team is just brilliant and talented. And they developed essentially a bus stop schedule. We started earlier and uh, we, the building department in Chicago is really flexible, allowed us to start on some of these projects earlier um, by, by having this bus stop schedule with vertical lifts so that if you were going to floor 38 and you were uh, the drywaller, this was your time slot. You had to be down on the first floor at 7.04 to 7.07. I mean, it was very precise and it worked out really, really well. Full disclosure, today we're in a second wave of COVID and it is really intense on the site. I'm very proud of the way the company is handling things because, uh, um, because I followed protocol. As soon as uh, my wife had to get tested, uh, my wife went back to our uh, suburban home. I stayed at our cottage. We isolated. We waited and... I ended up getting a test independently because I was supposed to do some travel. I came through positive. I didn't go to the office uh, during that time I was waiting. So I um, really stayed out of uh, affecting a lot of people's lives, which I'm very proud of. And that's the way our protocol set up. So when you take what, what, you know, I'm working in a main office facility, you take that to a job site, you're talking you know, you could have uh, on a job site like Vista, you could have 12, 14, 16 people infected at a time. And that trickle down is really dramatic. Uh, yeah. So having um, a good COVID protocol, contact tracing, and all those things in place are something we did as an industry and something we do as a company. And it's been really beneficial. I feel like I'm talking on and on forever, but I didn't even, I didn't even touch on the fact like you talked about how it affects material and labor availability. That's a fact. This, this disease uh, um, spread quickly, but one of the things that was most effective was Northern Italy, which happens to be where a lot of quarries are, which is where a lot of stone comes out of, right? which has really affected um, our schedule on receiving some of that stone. Um, another um, place where it was uh, tremendously affected was Canada. Um, where also stone was coming from. So, um, uh, and uh, there's no doubt COVID has affected the supply line dramatically. Um, not to mention the shutdown in factories that happened in Europe and Canada and some of the United States. Um, so it's been a really uh, dramatic thing that you're just rolling with the punches and trying to adapt. And to lastly address your thing, as far as the pipeline at work, uh, you know, unfortunately, we were involved with a project that was stalled um, because of COVID. We were about 5% started when the developer decided to um, stop and reassess the market. Um, the good news is he's continuing to reassess that and adapting his product. And, um, and hopefully that will be uh, kicking off again shortly. 
probably not so shortly, I should say, but maybe in six to eight months. Uh, but that's what this industry is going through. I, I read the, all the um, economist reports and there's just a tremendous amount of project delays and pauses that have affected our industry. Certainly. I mean, like you needed additional challenges to build a thousand foot buildings. Yeah. <laughs> you needed to make that harder. Yeah, no, it's incredible. I, You've been able to re-engineer how to get people up buildings and, and deal with uh, these additional challenges. And then have you been able to see, and also like you're saying about Northern Italy, I'm sure that's probably slowed down getting those granite countertops, all these exactly. new condos, uh, which everybody wants, of course. Um you know, do you, have you seen when you're talking to people in your association, just construction slow down sort of as people are planning going forward? Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, we have. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of projects uh, that are in the pipeline. Our pipeline is like very robust. The difference is it's still in the pipeline and it's not actually turned into product yet. Um, we have so many projects that we're estimating, but it's getting them off the, the dime and into reality is the challenge. And that is um, happening all over the place. And, you know, take take one sector. I mean, hospitality is fairly obvious that, you know, that's a very difficult market right now. Although we did start a major, uh, and I say major, over $50 million, uh, very boutique, high-end project in Nashville. Um, but generally, you know, hospitality is slow. And then look at um, the educational market, higher ed. What's happening in universities, I, I mean, that, that used to be a tremendous opportunity for construction with uh, new facilities. I think those facilities in, uh, uh, are going to be stalled for for a considerable time before we see new projects started at universities. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, for so many years, it's been such a, a race to build the best stadiums and um, related workout and training facilities just to try to, and, and also places for students to live in uh, just to be competitive with the market. Uh, and, you know, colleges have, a whole host of problems uh, dealing with COVID. So yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't heard anyone make that point yet. And and also what you're saying with hospitality, I, this company TREP allows you to see what's going on with all the CMBS loans. And I had access to a demonstration yesterday and it was kind of unbelievable when they pick a city and to see which CMBS loans are in default or in grace period or even in foreclosure. And you would look at a, a city and it would be like a list of hotels, basically. I mean, it's like the same list you would pull up on hotels.com oh, yeah. um, to see which ones are having trouble with their CMBS loans, which is public knowledge. I mean, it's, it's not public knowledge, but it's publicly available information. Um, but anyway, as, but I've also, as a, as a real estate attorney, as a developer attorney, I've also been, pleasantly surprised to see many projects still continue forward lenders still lending people still betting on real estate and uh and investing in it and so it's but you know it's very sector specific it's very project specific and uh but it, it it's not the the grinding halt that we saw in 2008 and it's 
and that we've, you know, I feared earlier this year. It's definitely affected the market, certainly, but it's not been, yeah, that grinding screech. It was a grinding screeching halt, but then the wheels started moving. Yeah, industrial's been a, um, a one of the few bright spots in the industry. And you know, as somebody who's been with a company for many years, building in downtown Chicago, can you talk to us a little bit about even before COVID, Chicago has had its share of of challenges with with tax, with real estate taxes going up, and um, you know, what are your thoughts on Chicago development in general, and then? you know, combined with the COVID-19 world. Yeah, I think Chicago is one of the most amazing cities in the world. I truly do. I've traveled a lot um, and I, I I think Chicago is remarkable. The challenges it had, it has had in the last, um, uh, particularly the last year, uh, have been very disappointing. Um, right now, today, uh, one of the big arguments in City Hall right now are, is for... Uh, whether there should be property tax increases uh, for, to balance the budget. And what I think, um, I don't want to make this uh, adversarial, but what the uh, the county has done as well, uh, uh, Fritz Kage with uh, the new uh, reassessments of the areas, on behalf of the Chicagoland Association of General Contractors, we met with him uh, over a year ago. And, and, and what he's trying to do to equalize value and essentially put more of the uh, burden on commercial properties. Uh, we, we discussed with him that philosophically we understand his approach, um, but we think it needs to be implemented over 10 years or 15 years, not quickly. But he uh, did not heed that advice and is going ahead and doing it his way. And I think it has hurt uh, Cook County development for sure. Um, and that and, uh, has also affected Chicago. So when you take that and then you take the looting and the rioting that occurred and bring that to today, uh, I think Chicago has to do some um, has to has to do some reputation management and get back in line as best in class world city that it is and should be. Um, so I'm very hopeful and optimistic. Um, but it has to get done. I am disappointed with the moves that the Cook County Assessor has made on commercial property. I do think uh, developers in Chicago are working with the ARO, the Affordable Residency Ordinance, to try to develop a balance between what's good for uh, society and can still be managed in a uh, project budget. So I think developers are well-intended trying to develop something. I, I quickly saw this year as far as Cook County goes, kill the golden goose. I mean, and, and I, uh, that we, we need to revive the goose. Well, you know, what is, what is the goose? Um, I love Chicago. You love Chicago. And why will Chicago uh, continue to do well and persist despite some of these challenges? I think because of its location being so central in the United States, um, I think the educational avenues available here, there's so many great universities. It's a crossroads, it, literally and figuratively, a crossroads of um, education and affordability uh, that can't be found on the coast. 
Yeah, and I once heard this this broker from NAI Hiffman, a uh, friend of mine, David Haig, who is who gave me showed me a map, and he was talking about all the trains. So he's an industrial broker, so he's talking about all the train supply lines. And basically, if you look at a map, you know, because of the Great Lakes and where they're situated, if you're trying to get anything from the East Coast West, and this was historically, you know, greatly added to the development of Chicago, but it still remains true today, uh, especially the industrial strike. You, you almost have to hit Chicago just <laughs> to go around the lakes. Yeah. Um, and so he, he's always been a big proponent of the fact that that rail will continue to feed Chicago and, and feed businesses and industrial, bring it to Chicago. Well, I'm a big fan. I mean, Chicago is um, uh, when, you know, we are a, a union city. We uh, we build with our union trades. And I'll tell you what, our trades, you take them to the West and East Coast and hands down, I think our trades are far, far superior in terms of quality and productivity. Uh, we have some great trades here. And, uh, and what you get done in eight hours on a job site, I, I think is also unmatched compared to the East to West Coast. So I think when you compare all that, it's, it's really a, a good place. I love, we did a project in Telluride, Colorado a couple of years ago and I mm-hmm. loved it. <laughs> Colorado is awesome. But when you go out there and you interview people for jobs, uh, you know, and, and you're like, why do you want the, why do you want to be a, a system project manager on this job? And your answer is, cause I like snowboarding and rock climbing. It's like, <laughs> that would, if you heard that answer in Chicago, you'd be like, what? <laughs> uh, but it, but I get it. That's cool. They're out there for that lifestyle. Um, in Chicago, it's a different, you know, it's a Midwestern work ethic. And uh, and we get a lot done. And, uh, and as a result, it's a very good environment for, I think, I think for business. And kind of shifting gears a little bit, Mike, I just wanted you to talk about the 100 Club of Chicago and your, your participation in that organization. Yeah, thanks, Phil. I appreciate that. Um, I, I'm uh, really honored and humbled to serve as the president of the 100 Club of uh, Chicago, which represents um, Cook, Lake, and McHenry County. And the bottom line is, if a first responder is killed in the line of duty, we show up at that family's residence within 24 hours with a check for $50,000. And most most importantly, uh, is we put their surviving children uh, we help them with scholarships through um, college and actually post-college too. That will include law school or um, whatever we can do for them. And it's, uh, uh, we have, the, unfortunately, last year we lost a state trooper uh, on the tollway who um, his, his wife was about six weeks pregnant at the time. And that is our youngest child in our pipeline that we're providing college for. And it's incredibly sad that that child will never know uh, who uh, their father was, but that child will know in 18 years that college is taken care of it because their father was a hero. And I think that's really awesome and humbling. And we have about 38, 39 children in, um, in our pipeline right now. This year has been extremely challenging because uh, we've had about uh, 11, uh, I'm sorry, 11 line of duty deaths which are not high profile. Usually you're hearing about the tragedy on the tollway or the tragedy uh, 
you know, which we covered the Mercy Hospital and those things. But what has happened this year is um, COVID uh, related deaths. And um, we've had more than our fair share, but they've been more under the uh, radar that you don't necessarily read about um, from correctional officers at Cook County um, Sheriff's uh, at the Cook County Jail. And we're still stepping up for those families and we're still helping all of these families. So it's, a, it's an amazing cause for first responders. And uh, it's something that I'm honored to do with my life. Yeah, it's, it sounds like a really wonderful organization. I think, you know, since the pandemic hit, a lot of people have have looked for deeper meaning and looked for ways to give back and participate in a deeper way of this world. That's really a tangible benefit that you all are providing to these families. And I'm sure you, it must have be difficult to hear these stories and to focus on these tragedies, but it's, it seems very worthwhile. Um, if people want to give to that organization, what's the best way to get in touch with you all? Yeah, you could definitely look up the 100 club of Chicago, uh, in, uh, on the internet and you'll find it very quickly. I think it's 100 club org, and that should direct you there. And we'd love, love your support. It's been a, uh, the thrill of my life to be involved with helping these families, you know, the hardest part, um, is of course, uh, being there at the moment of tragedy and, and helping those families. The most rewarding part is to be involved years later with these families and see their growth and to see, um, uh, to see where those families have gone. Like the young man that was going through high school and is now, He's now, you know, a sworn Chicago police officer because that's what he wanted to do and follow in his father's footsteps. Uh, and his sister decided to go through uh, undergrad and law school and is now working for the Cook County State's Attorney's Office. And we took care of all that for them. It's pretty, pretty rewarding. I'll bet. I just out of curiosity, what's, why is it called the 100 Club? Uh, good question. The club, it was started, um, there's a few chap. there's several chapters around the country it was started in Detroit and, uh, and I believe it was a firefighter that was killed. And, um, and it was a gentleman that was involved in the auto industry and he got 100 of his best friends to come around and put some money in and to help put some kids through college, uh, to put that family's kids through college. And, and that's how they came upon the name. Uh, well, thank you for telling us a little bit about that organization and I want to be respectful of your time and um, appreciate all that you've talked about today. But I, I got to ask you, you know, you've worked for this company for for decades and you've worked in Telluride, Nashville, uh, Moscow, uh, Chicago, just to name what we've talked about today. Uh, what's your favorite project that you've worked on and why? Huh, that's a good question. I... It's probably, you know, we've worked on so many cool projects from the Bulls practice facility, the Blackhawks practice facility, but one near and dear to me would be uh, the Elmhurst School District uh, projects in 205. We did York High School renovation because um, it was a huge job. It was a, a, a close to a, a $80 million project. And what I remember when working with that client the most is near the end of the job, she, 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 the uh, assistant superintendent of finance said to me, 
you treat the dollars like they're yours. <laughs> and I thought that was just such a compliment. Uh, yeah. And, and to finish a, a complex job, that job was huge. It was a new 300,000 square foot academic building, renovating all of York High School's campus. Uh, to finish that job ahead of schedule and within budget was just really rewarding. Um, everyone says, oh, it turned out great. It's beautiful. And that's great. It did. Um, but that it was done responsibly mean, meant the world to me because it really put us on a on a platform. And uh, and and I always think about that. And that was back in that was about eighteen years ago. I, that's a great lesson. I mean, that could apply to so many different uh, professions to treat the dollar like it's yours. I mean, to hear from the clients themselves, that's ideal. Yeah. But yeah, I was just talking about that with an associate the other day, because we could either have this company file something for us or we could do it. And if we did it, you know, on our billable hour, it'd save the client like $300. And, yeah. you know, and the person was like, well, yeah, but you know, it, I think that the person was surprised that I was so concerned about it. And I was like, well, you just always want to save the client money, like whenever you can. Even if it's two or three hundred dollars um, on a, on a big project, you know, just pay attention to those things. Be thinking about them, and it'll make you that much better. And you know, it, and it's there's probably many times, Mike, where you've saved the client a lot of money and they haven't noticed. Um, but it's it's always you're, the best when when they do. Yeah, you're, that's a perfect observation, Phil. You're right on with that. Well, really appreciate your time, Mike. Thank you for coming on the show. Uh, thank you for talking about the 100 Club. And um, thanks for continuing to build these these big, beautiful buildings that we all get to look at. Well, thanks for your interest and uh, really appreciate your podcast. Thanks for everything you're doing for the industry. This publication is intended for general information purposes only and does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. The listener should consult with legal counsel to determine how laws or decisions discussed herein apply to the listener's specific circumstances. 